0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy.
1: You're listening to the New Yorker Poetry Podcast. I'm Paul Muldoon, the poetry editor of the magazine, and it's a pleasure to have you with us. Now, on this programme, as many of you will know, we ask a poet to choose a poem from the New Yorker Archive we have them read it and then we discuss it. Then we ask him or her to read one of their own poems that's been published in the magazine. And my guest today is Andrea Cohen, the winner of the Penn Discovery Award and the director of both the Writer's House at Merrimack College and the Blacksmith House Poetry Series in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you, Paul. Now, the poem you've chosen to read for the podcast is by... Philip Levine, Phil Levine, a poem called The Mercy. Tell me a little bit about uh, Phil Levine and your own relationship with him. Sure. Uh,
0: When I was an undergraduate at Tufts, Phil was my teacher for a couple classes and had A tremendous amount uh, of effect on me as a young writer, encouraging me to write, uh, letting me know that you could write about anything. He introduced me to poets like Antonio Machado and Lorca and told me that there was such a thing as graduate school for poets, and that was a big help in getting me on my path. And, And then his poetry has just been an inspiration to me all these years.
1: Now what is it about uh, a poet like uh, Philip Levine in particular, that somehow summons up such fellow feeling not only in readers, of course, but readers who are also poets?
0: I think that what Phil does, one of the things he said he wanted to do was to give voice to the voiceless, and he does that in a language which is both sort of of the the common person and yet, Often magical in a way as well. I think that he mixes what is a a tremendous amount of tenderness with grit. There is hope in the face of despair and also humor along with the gravitas in his poems.
1: Well, maybe we will hear The Mercy by Philip Levine, read here by Andrea Cohen.
0: The Mercy. The ship that took my mother to Ellis Island 83 years ago was named the Mercy. She remembers trying to eat a banana without first peeling it and seeing her first orange in the hands of a young Scot, a seaman who gave her a bite and wiped her mouth for her with a red bandana and taught her the word orange, saying it patiently over and over. A long autumn voyage the days darkening with the black waters calming as night came on, then nothing as far as her eyes could see, and space without limit rushing off to the corners of creation. She prayed in Russian and Yiddish to find her family in New York. Prayers unheard or misunderstood or perhaps ignored by all the powers that swept the waves of darkness before she woke, that kept the mercy afloat while smallpox raged among the passengers and crew until the dead were buried at sea with strange prayers in a tongue she could not fathom. The mercy I read on the yellowing pages of a book I located in a windowless room at the library on 42nd Street sat 31 days offshore in quarantine before the passengers disembarked. There, a story ends. Other ships arrived. Tancred out of Glasgow, the Neptune registered as Danish, Umberto IV, the list goes on for pages, November gives way to winter, the sea pounds this alien shore. Italian miners from Piemonte dig under towns in western Pennsylvania, only to rediscover the same nightmare they left at home. A nine-year-old girl travels all night by train with one suitcase and an orange. She learns that mercy is something you can eat again and again while the juice spills over your chin. You can wipe it away with the back of your hands and you can never get enough.
1: What's striking about that poem, The Mercy, by Philip Levine, read there by Andrea Cohen, is really how little it strives, it seems to unfold in an extraordinarily matter-of-fact way. It
0: does seem like that, um, as as if he's telling the story. One of the things I love about this poem is it feels like a journey of a boat to me as well, and it seems to be still going on in a way so that 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 ship that took his mother seems to still be going on. And on one hand, there is the hopefulness of going to the new place. And on the other hand, we see the Italian miners in Piemonte, you know, running into the same thing that they had back home
1: replicating their lives yes, somehow. But the mother is not exactly going to replicate her life, is she?
0: No, she's not. Um, the, the Scotsman reaching out with this orange is this stunning image, especially in contrast with, you know, trying to, to eat the banana without knowing how to peel it. Uh, so there is this idea of, of starting anew and of
1: learning a new world. One of the reasons why the poem seems to have such momentum, I think, is in his extraordinary capacity to manage line endings, to push the sense of the line, the sense of the sentence, round the corner, and in fact, uh, I'm struck at one point, two of the enjambments in the poem, then nothing as far as her eyes could see, and space, that's a word at the end of a mm-hmm. line, without limit, rushing off to the corners at the end of a line of creation. Terrific forward momentum.
0: Yes. And so, on one hand, we have what seems this sort of narrative of a very particular story, and then it gets writ large with all of creation coming into it as well. And what I'm also struck by is how he puts us there in the present tense, especially a nine-year-old girl travels all night by train. It seems like it's still happening, really.
1: It certainly does. Now, one of the risks that this poem takes, and one admires a poem that takes a risk, one admires even more a poem that overcomes a risk. And I think it's ever so slightly risky to call a poem the mercy that prefers at once to the ship, of course, and then to extend that to the concept of mercy. It's the kind of thing that in the hands of a lesser poet could seem a little shallow, actually. And, and one of
0: the things I have always admired about Phil Levine's
1: poetry is how he
0: can bump up against what might seem overly sentimental in that lesser poet's hand, and he makes it work.
1: The Mercy by Philip Levine, read there by Andrea Cohen. Now, Andrea Cohen, we were delighted uh, to be able to publish in the November 30th, 2015 issue of The New Yorker, your poem, Major to Minor, which we'd like you to read for us today. But before you do that, maybe you'd tell us if there's anything that it would be useful for us to know just as it goes through the ether past our ear.
0: Well, um, You know, I often think that a poem speaks best for itself, but but I will say when I wrote this poem, which was the morning after the train jumped a track in Philadelphia, and I never know where a poem is going. I never know. You know, we think trains know where they're going, but a poem always surprises me. It has to, doesn't it? Yes. Was it Robert Frost who said, no surprise for the writer, no surprise for the reader? He certainly did. Anything else we should know? Well, I can only say that the poem went to a place I did not know it was going.
1: Well, let's hear it and see what that place is, and then we can try perhaps to think about how it manages its extraordinary effect.
0: Major to minor. Trains jump tracks, and people from steep trestles leap. But mostly it's the subtler shifts that hit us hard. The key to the city... Not quite fitting. The epiphany of twin beds where there was one, like two icebergs, no July knows what to do with.
1: Major to minor read there by Andrea Cohen who wrote the poem, or through whom the poem was written, I think. That's how it works for me. When the poems
0: don't work, I generally uh, take the blame for them. But when they do work, I, I don't so much take the credit for them, but I'm, I'm just happy that they're in the world.
1: Now, could you remember the moment, if you could just psych yourself back into it? Uh, I know this is difficult, but I do like to ask poets this question. Can you remember the moment where this image of the icebergs And the idea that no July would be able to do anything with them uh, came to you. You know,
0: with my poems, it's all really driven by sound and the the meaning finds its way in through the sound. And so I think that I was was thinking about the one bed going to the two beds and suddenly they struck me as icebergs. in contrast to, say, the the marital
1: bed. Well, you know that again is a it's a it's dealing with the basic metaphor. I suppose has to do with the cooling of a relationship or mm-hmm. the chilling or the iciness yes. between two people, the froideur, as we call it in Ireland. And uh, you know, uh, again, that is something that we've seen before. We recognise that, but we certainly haven't seen this.
0: Well, thank you. I, I guess the
1: challenge is always to try to
0: say something in a little bit different way because, in, in the end,
1: our experiences are not so very varied. I guess. Well, are we saying it in something in a different way? And that's a to paraphrase uh, Alexander Pope when he talked about wit. What? oft was thought, but ne'er so well expressed. Are we doing that, or are we in fact, if there is no distinction between how a thing is said and what's being said, aren't you in fact coming up with a new idea here? Well, I I would like to think so. I'd say necessarily so. This this is a new idea. It's not like something else. Now, I was struck listening to you uh, read it there by uh, a name came to mind, and it's the name of Emily Dickinson. Yes, I've heard of her. <laughs> well, I must say that there's this image of the, uh, the, the, the icebergs n- that no July knows what to do with. I can imagine Emily Dickinson, I can imagine that idea crossing her extraordinary mind. Well, to be in the company of uh,
0: any utterance even of Emily Dickinson is, is something that any poet would be happy
1: with. Is it possible that Emily Dickinson is the greatest American poet? She might be, yeah. I mean, I, we don't actually have to choose one, and we certainly don't have to choose one here and now, but she's got to be a very strong contender. Yeah,
0: and, and you know, she's a writer I did not understand when I was younger, and I came to really grasp her, I think, when I was in my 30s. She has meant a lot to me
1: since then. Brilliant. Thank you very much indeed, Andrea Cohen, for reading uh, your poem, Major to Minor, today, and uh, also for reading The Mercy by Philip Levine. Thank you very much indeed for being with us. Thank you, Paul. Major to Minor by Andrea Cohen, as well as Philip Levine's poem, The Mercy may be found on newyorker.com. Andrea Cohen's most recent book of poems is Furs Not Mine, and Philip Levine's final collection, alas, was News of the World. Now, you may subscribe to this podcast, the Fiction Podcast, and indeed the Political Scene Podcast in the iTunes store. And you can hear more poetry read by the authors in the tablet edition of the magazine. I'm Paul Muldoon, poetry editor of The New Yorker. Until next time, goodbye.
0: You can hear more poetry read by the authors on newyorker.com and in the digital edition for tablets and smartphones, available at no extra charge in the App Store and on Google Play. The theme music is The Pitnickry Ferryman, from the album The Highlander's Farewell by Alistair Fraser and Natalie Haas, from Colburny Records.
1: Hi, I'm Deborah Treisman, fiction editor of The
0: New Yorker. Each week on the Writer's Voice podcast, New Yorker fiction writers read their newly published stories from the magazine. You can hear from authors like Colson Whitehead. Turner nudged Elwood, who had a look of horror on his face. They saw it. Griff wasn't going down. He was gonna go for it, no matter what happened after. Or Joy Williams. Her father was silent. Slowly, he passed his hand over his hair. This usually meant that he was traveling to a place immune to her presence